Hi, this is Gary Washburn, pastor of Grace Tabernacle. Thank you for tuning to our podcast today. Our hope is that this message inspires you and builds your faith. For more information about Grace Tabernacle and our ministries, please go to gracetab.org and like us on Facebook. Now, may the message feed your soul. Uh, it's so good to be back with you. Believe me, we really miss you. We've been ruined uh, as far as church that uh, we just look forward to spending time with you guys. We just uh, we miss you when we're gone and talk about you. And so we are just so good to be back. I want to thank uh, First Pedro Sosa for uh, leading on a Wednesday night and Bruce, as always, doing an outstanding hit a home run and Linda Sagai on Wednesday. I watch these. These are you guys are awesome. You don't really need me here. You've got plenty of quarterbacks, first-string quarterbacks. I just have to say, the reason we were gone is we have the most beautiful, amazing, great-granddaughter. She was born February 4th, absolutely perfect. And I wished I would have put a picture, gave Jenny a picture so I could show you. But I have a lot on Facebook. And if you want after church, I can certainly show you plenty. (laughs) She is lovely. And thank you for praying for the safe delivery. And um, it is Alora Ray. Her name is Alora Ray. So, Yeah, her middle, middle, we don't know. We don't know. Alora means God is light. So there she is. Yeah, and Ray means my mom. That's her. She's named after. So she's happy to be 90 and have a, finally have a child, a great-great-grandchild named after her. Yeah, wow. Uh, I wanted to um, start off by telling you a couple things. One, you got to make sure when you're listening because the word this morning from the the tongue interpretation given by Joanne Kirkstra was make sure you're listening I don't know if you could hear all of that I tried to get to her quickly but the interpretation of the tongue was listen listen to God kind of reminds me this time this pastor was uh, up front praying for people and a guy came to him and said pastor I want you to pray for my hearing and he said sure I'd be glad to and he began to pray for him and do all the stuff you know we do it pray put his fingers in his ears and all that stuff you know and afterwards he said hey uh, you know how's your hearing and he said I don't know he said what do you mean you don't know he says not till Thursday <laughs> a little slower over here you guys were pretty quick that was, that was good. One more. I just gotta, I've told this before, so if you've heard it before, act like you've never heard it. I just got to tell it because I enjoy hearing it myself, so I'm telling it for myself. This guy was, a, he was commissioned by a funeral home to play bagpipe at uh, Graveside and play Amazing Grace. And so he uh, was commissioned to go out and, and somewhere he got directions someplace in the hills of Kentucky back on some family farm. There was a family cemetery. And so he drove and drove and he was running late and he knew he was late. And finally he gets to where he thinks this was supposed to be and he sees the grave there. He sees the workers over or the grave diggers probably back over to the side and eating lunch. He's, oh man, it's terrible. I have missed the whole thing. The hearse is already gone. The people are gone. I feel bad, but I've been paid for this and I'm going to honor God. I'm going to get out. And I'm still going to do this. So he goes over to the open grave site and the, the, the uh, 
cover, the concrete cover is already on, and he just begins to, with his, all of his heart, he plays Amazing Grace, just as beautiful as he could ever play. And the workers came over, and they took their hats off, and they stood beside him, and he started crying after that, and they started crying, and it was like, wow, it was a very moving moment. And he thought, well, you know, and he walked away. His head hung down, but his heart was full. I've pleased God. I've done what I'm supposed to do. As he's walking back to his car, he overheard one of the workers say, man, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. I've been digging septic tanks for 20 years, and I never saw anything like that. Just one of my favorites. <laughs> Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> That's the crappiest joke I've ever heard. I know, I know. Oh, all right. Well, so good to hear you laugh and good to see you. I want to uh, talk to you today about heaven and about setting your heart and your mind on heaven, on the things above, and how that will make a tremendous difference in your life. You know, the scripture says in Ephesians 2.10, says, we are God's workmanship. If you really think about that in your own life, it's really amazing the fact that you and I are here today talking about God and worshiping God and singing to God. I mean, think about that. In, in the orchestration of your life, what has brought you to this point has been nothing but the amazing hand of God in your life. You, you and I wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for the Lord. It's just no, you know, it's God is just awesome and the fact that he brings us here. But he has something else in mind for us more than just going to church and and being involved in church activities, those are all wonderful. But he has, a, he has an awesome plan in mind for us. And, uh, you know, you've heard the old saying, you know, some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Well, that's not really true. If you look at the scriptures, the more heavenly minded we become, the more earthly value we partake in and give and make a difference. We become salt and light to a world that desperately needs heavenly minded people. Most of the people live in this world as if this is all there is. They live for this moment. They gratify any desire they have for this time because they figure, you know, life is short. And so, you know, eat dessert first, all those kind of things. But the truth of the matter is that, that God wants us to set our minds on something that's beyond the visible, beyond the natural. We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, prepared, uh, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there are assignments on our life, your life and my life, why we're here, why we're still breathing, uh, why our heart is still beating, why we still have health, because there are assignments that God has for us and as a purpose. And it, is, it behooves us to find out what that purpose is. God said in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you. So there are plans that God has for our lives. And, it, and it, it's in, it's, it, we must begin to seek God about how you want me to live the rest of my life, God. What do you want me to do? And I'm going to start off with something very simple, but it's necessary because some, some people here need to hear this. There are four essentials, four essentials to fulfilling your purpose that God has for you. And the number one thing is if you must spend time feeding on the word of God. 
Notice I didn't say read the Word of God. I said feed on the Word of God. And that's how you must treat your Bible. It's a feeding trough. You go and you feed your spirit, man, who, who needs this Word of God. The Scripture says, as a newborn baby desires the sincere milk of the Word that he may grow, by, grow thereby, you must crave. You're made to hunger for something that only the Word of God in you will satisfy you. You know, the little great-grandbaby we just had, uh, that little baby, you, you put the baby on the mother's uh, belly, and that baby will uh, crawl up to the mother's breast because it can smell or knows the milk, the nourishment is there. The baby craves that milk, and a baby will begin to crawl toward the mother's breast so that it can, in, it can nurse. It's instinctive, and it's instinctive in you. You must have time to feed on the Word of God. And the Scripture tells us about feeding on the Word. It's not reading. It's feeding. The scripture says in Psalm 1 that we, we learn to delight ourselves in the word of God. We learn to delight in it. We learn to take pleasure in it. It's not, a, it's not a discipline I have to do every day and check it off my list. It's something I take pleasure in. I delight in his word. And then I meditate in his word both day and night. And I recommend this to you. When you read scripture, you, you feed on that word. Get one word, get a phrase, or maybe it's a verse. Write it on a three-by-five card. Keep it with you, either all that day or maybe all that week, and think on it. Go back and think on it. That's what meditation is. It's just going back over. It's not memorizing. It's just going back over it, over and over and over again. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate, because that's what worry is in the negative. You're just going back over something. But here you're feeding your soul. You get stronger. God promises that you will actually prosper. Spiritually, your soul will prosper as you meditate on the Word. So it's not like reading three chapters a day or reading. You can just gulp down volumes of Scripture and never get anything out of it. Read, feed until you get something. It's like fishing. You know, you fish until you get a nibble. Okay? And I'm understanding that the men are going fishing Saturdays, right? Right? Is that right? The men are going fishing Saturday is what I heard anyway, so I'm going fishing Saturday. I don't know if the men are going, but I'm going to go fishing Saturday. And we're going to get more than nibbles. We're going to catch fish. Hallelujah. So you need to feed on the Word of God and meditate on one thing that God said. There's nothing more important. The word of the interpretation of tongue was listen. Listen, like today, the message today, you won't remember everything I've said. You've already forgotten 90% of what I've said. But you'll get something. Write it down. Put it on a piece of paper. Go back and think on. Maybe it's a word. Maybe it's a verse. Maybe it's a scripture. Think on that thing, and God will begin to open up that thing to you and teach you something that's going to bring life into you. Second thing that we, we do is to find the purpose of God is that you ought to pray out loud. Pray out loud in secret to God. I say pray out loud because if you just pray with your mind, your mind has a tendency to get distracted. And you can be thinking of your grocery list next or things you're going to do in the afternoon. Pray out loud. It's going to help you pay attention and stay focused on God. So pray out loud to God in secret. And I love what Jesus said in Matthew 6. He says, when you pray, 
go into your prayer closet. It doesn't have to be a closet. Go into a place where you shut the door. Everybody say, shut the door. That means you turn, you're, you're giving God undivided attention. You're going to talk to God Almighty, undivided. You don't take your cell phone into the prayer room. Don't do that, because I guarantee you it'll ring. Uh, you don't take, you know, you, you set aside undivided attention. I'm going to talk to God. I'm going to unload. He already knows everything in my heart, but it's just something, it, it's therapeutic for me to be able to express you know, my burdens or my concerns or my cares or my prayer requests to God. It's good for me to articulate that verbally, out loud. I hear myself talking to God. But one of the most important things after that is to listen. People say, I don't hear God. Well, you, you don't hear God because you're not practicing hearing. It's like a musician. They tune a guitar. It takes practice, and after a while, they, they, they can tune a guitar without a tuner. They, they know the sound. It takes practice, and it takes practice hearing God. You will hear God if you belong to him. If you're born in the Spirit of God, you will begin to hear God, but you've got to give him an opportunity. You don't just hang up the phone. Listen, ask him, is there any guidance you have for me today? Is there anything you want to say to me today? And just be still and listen. And you begin to hear God on the inner man. The inner man where your spirit is. You begin to hear the voice of God. You begin to hear thoughts and things come up that you know you weren't even thinking about. You begin to, you begin to hear God. I like what an old pastor by the name of Rufus Mosley said. He said, herein lies a fool. Talking to one who knows everything instead of listening to the one who knows everything. Listen. Ask God questions. You might be surprised. But practice. Everybody, everybody is at the same level. You have to start at the same level. Listen to God. Number three, it's so important to fellowship with Christians. And I don't mean by just going to church because you can go to church and not fellowship. Fellowship means you interact, you, you do something together, you break bread together, you go fishing together, you have a game night together, you, you talk together, you, 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 you have to be around other Christians. You're, the first negative thing that God said in the Bible was it's not good for man to be alone. God intended for you to have fellowship. You have to have other spirit-minded people with you. It's vital, it's necessary. One of the devil's tactics to get you depressed and discouraged is to isolate you. So we just need to come together. We need one another more than we realize that. We really do. We need you. We, we longed being with you. It's not to preach because I have to preach. Right? No, we just long to be in the family, the fellowship. And number four is witnessing and sharing your faith. This is a very critical element. God expects us to be a witness of his resurrection. He expects us to, to talk to people around us who are unbelievers and, and non-believers and, and, and be a living witness to them to say, I know he lives because he lives within my heart. I know he lives because he answers my prayer. I know he lives because he's changed my life from what I was. You don't know me the way I, I used to be. There's a radical change in my life. I know I have a lot of work to be done, but he's changed my life. I'm a living witness to somebody. Somebody needs your witness.
And I don't mean just living by your lifestyle. I mean living with a, a testimony. You know, start out with this. It, most Christians are afraid to witness because they, they have a spirit of, of fear of rejection more than the fear of God. We're supposed to have the fear of God, and that's the sense that we worship God. We're aware of God more than we are the fear of man. I remember my first duty station in the Marine Corps was in Virginia, and I worked in an office as a a clerk, and I worked in this office, and I was uh, a PFC, and I was brand new there, just fresh out of boot camp, so I called everybody sir and everything else. And uh, there was a sergeant who came in on temporary duty, and he worked at a desk across from me. And he had the most foul mouth of uh, even a drill instructor that I'd ever had before. And he used God's name in vain repeatedly. And I was a new Christian, and it bothered me. It was almost like every time he would use God's name as a filth word to to express disgust, it was like stabbing me in the heart. It hurt. It hurt. But I was afraid to talk to him because he was a sergeant and I was a PFC. And I was getting ready to go on lunch break. I'll never forget this. And I just started to walk by his desk, and I started to go going out the door. And I walked out a little bit past him because I was afraid to talk to him. I didn't know what to say. What am I going to say to him? And, and the Lord bothered my heart was, you know, are you going to say anything? Are you going to be my witness? Are you going to speak? What are, you, just, are you going to say anything, or are you going to ignore him like everybody else? And so I had enough courage from the Lord to go back to him and say something like, you know, uh, the God that you're blaspheming and using his name in vain, he's real. He's right here in front of you, whether you believe it or not. And he says he'll not hold you guiltless who holds his name in vain. So please don't, please don't do that. He's right here. And he looked at me and he kind of smirked and everything, and he didn't cuss me out or anything like that. He just, you know, I just went on my way. But I knew I passed a test because I finally spoke up. I was a witness Boldness is, is simply the courage to do the right thing, even if you're afraid. Boldness is the courage just to, I'm going to say the right thing regardless of how it's received. Whether they like me or not is not the issue anymore. I'm not here to win a popularity contest. I'm not here to get people to like me. It's nothing to do with me. I'm here to be his witness that he's alive, that he is real, and, and, and his word is true. I'm here to be that witness on the earth to a people that will reject him and hate him and even persecute you. And if we don't pass these little tests during the week to... Talk to your neighbor. Say something. You know, start out with something like, tell them your testimony. Don't start with your birth, by the way. I was born in 1950, so that's going to take too long. Give them a brief, brief testimony within 60 seconds. And if you're, if you're not comfortable doing that yet, at least give them a gospel track. Have one on you that you can, you can give them and say, you know, this is something that changed my life. Would you, when you get a moment, would you please read it? 99% of the people will thank you when you give them that. At least give them a gospel track, okay? And then maybe you'll graduate to the place like many of you here do already. You go up to people, is there anything I can pray for you about? That opens a door. Or then you graduate to the point where you can share scriptures like the Romans Road, you know, or you know how to present the gospel in scriptures, and that's, that's excellent. So these are four things. If you're going to make progress in your life, Everybody here, everybody, this fits every, this is one size fits all. 
Everybody here, these four things are like four tires on your car. If one of them's not working, you've got a flat, you're not going to go very far. So you want to keep all four tires inflated, ready to go, so that you can move forward, so you can make progress towards God's purpose for your life. Everybody say amen and make me feel better. So now we're in, now we're in the place of setting our mind on heaven. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, if you, the scripture says if, and the word if there is really the word since. Since you were raised up with Christ, desire, seek after those things, those eternal treasures that are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Set your affection, your mind, on things above, the heavenly realm, and not on things on the earth. So we're citizens of two kingdoms. We live in two places at the same time. In the spirit, we live in heaven right now. In, right now, we're already citizens in heaven. The Bible says in Paul, we're seated at the right hand of Christ who sits at the right hand of God in heaven. We're in that place in the spirit. While we're in the natural down here, we're here on earth sitting in this building. But he says for us to set. Set like you set the dial on your radio, set the channel on your TV, fix your focus, your mind on the things above that are eternal, not on the temporal. These things down here are not forever. These things are forever. So set your mind on those things. Now, what what difference will that make? A huge difference. A huge difference. The Apostle Peter, in his last days, when he knew that he was about to leave the earth, he was about to die, he said in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and following, Beloved, don't be ignorant. Don't be without knowledge about this one thing, that a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. The Lord's not slack concerning his promise. He's patient. He doesn't want anybody to perish. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, which the heavens will pass away. But you, therefore, you, put your hand on your chest and say, he's talking to me. You, therefore, since you know these things, you have inside information that most of the world doesn't know or doesn't believe or doesn't hear. Beware, lest you, put your hand on your head, chest again, say, he's talking to me. Lest you fall away from your steadfastness, your faithfulness, being led astray by the deception of the wicked, who say, There's just as all, this is all there is. But grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. This was Peter's last words. He knew he was about to die, and he's telling the church, You've got to pay attention, you've got to listen, you've got to set your mind on heaven. Because it's what's going to keep you steadfast while you're down here. Because down here on earth, there's so many distractions. I mean, there's the Super Bowl that's capturing the whole world's attention today. There's always distractions. There's always things going on in your life. You've got to set your mind on the eternal purposes of God and the priorities for your life. You, you don't have time to be distracted and do all these other things. Remember last, a couple weeks ago, I I pointed to you, I showed you the dot. There's the dot, and then there's eternity. 
And your life right now on earth is just the dot. You're an eternal being is going to live forever. You're going to die here one day physically unless the Lord returns, but you're going to live forever somewhere, heaven or hell. And right now you're just in the dot. The psalmist said in Psalm 90 verse 12, Lord, teach me to know my end. The extent of my days, help me to know how transient I am. My lifetime here on earth is as nothing, it's like a vapor. I'm here today and I'm gone tomorrow. God's given you the gift of life. How many of you have lived to be 66 years of age or above? Raise your hands. It's an old people's church. I'm in that crowd. Do you know you've already lived way beyond the majority of the people in the world's lifespan? Wow. Like the old saying, don't buy any green bananas, right? God's given you the gift of life. An opportunity. He's given you a lifespan of 66 plus years. What are you going to do with the rest of it? That's an important question. You need to ask God some questions. Here's what I would invite you today to spend some time in your prayer closet just talking to God about. Ask him these three questions. God, is this really what you want me to do with my life right now, what I'm doing? Is this what you want me to do with my life? Ask God that question. See if he answers you. Is this where you want me to go, where you want me to be? Is this how you want me to spend my time? Those are just questions. Just ask God. It's, it's up to him to answer you, but ask him. You have not because you ask not. And this week, you've got so many options before you. You have 168 hours in this week from here to next Sunday. 168 hours to find the purposes of God. To do what you were assigned to do. Sometimes it's so little, it's so little things, it seems insignificant to other people, but it was an assignment from God to help somebody, to take some time for somebody, to spend some time with somebody, to pray with somebody, to love somebody, to encourage somebody. Those were assignments. And this week you have some assignments from God. There's, it's not just random. There are assignments waiting for you to show up. Nobody else can do this but you. God has assigned it for your life. It's his, his plan before the world began that you would be at a certain spot with a certain person and have the ability to minister to them and give grace to them that they need because God's given you that grace. Maybe it's something you've been through or going through that you can relate to and you can have mercy and compassion on them. Number two, the setting your mind on things above will... Make you bold enough to share your faith. See, the reason most people, most Christians don't share their faith is because of cowardice. Fear. Fear of rejection. Fear what people are going to think. Fear I don't know what to say. And all the stuff the devil brings up to your mind. But when you start setting your mind on heaven and eternity, realizing that in in a shadow of a moment, I'll be before God. I'll be in eternity. That'll make you bold enough to speak up here when you need to speak up. 
It may be with fear and trembling, but you will begin to share your faith in some capacity when you really truly set your mind on things above and set your mind on eternity. And again, boldness is just the courage to do the right thing. It's just the courage to do the right thing. Peter said, the Lord's not slack concerning his promises. He's patient because he does not want anybody to perish. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away. You, therefore, that's talking to us, we who have inside knowledge, we know these things. We know there's a heaven. We know there's a hell. We know that there's a judgment day coming. We know there's a God. We know that there are things that are invisible that are more real than the visible. We know these things. So it makes a big difference setting your mind on things above rather than on the earth. Number three, setting your mind on heaven and places our sufferings and our troubles in the right perspective. I don't know anybody on earth that doesn't have trouble of some kind. We could all sit around and swap our troubles for your troubles. You take mine, I take yours, but we'd all walk out with troubles. We still have them. Everybody's got issues they're dealing with. Got places where your heart's been broken. You've got places where you've grieved. You've got places where you're hurt. You've got places where you're disappointed. And if you don't have a heavenly mindset, you'll get so disappointed here that you can actually get into depression and to the point of despair. A sense of hopelessness. Hopelessness and when people commit suicide, it's a sense of hopelessness that nothing's ever going to get better. They believe the lie, the enemy. And I'm not talking about anybody here who's had a relative or loved one that's committed suicide because a, a Christian can commit suicide if they get the wrong mindset. People often ask, can Christians do this or do that? Christians can have anything they want. (laughs) Being a Christian doesn't stop you from sinning. Being a Christian doesn't stop you from committing adultery. Being a Christian doesn't stop you from being a homosexual. Boy, that may have rubbed you the wrong way. Because you said, if he's a real Christian, you couldn't do those things. Well, show me in the book where it says you can't do certain things once you become a Christian, you're immune. It's not the desire of God for you. But you still make free will choices. I'm not here to make anybody like me. It doesn't really matter. That's the truth. And I'm not for homosexuality. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, that's an abomination to God. That's something I, that's a sin that you definitely don't want. It's a perversion you don't want to get into. But see, people say, could a Christian be a homosexual? Can a Christian be a liar? And the Bible says all liars are going to the lake of hell. You just got to work that through with your theology. See? So we all have troubles and issues and disappointments here in this life. Where We were on our way home from this trip, and we started talking about our own, our own troubles. And next thing you know, we were having a pity party. And, and uh, not a good thing to do when you're driving down the interstate at 70 miles an hour. And... Uh, you know, we could, just, we could just kind of feel ourselves sliding down mm, into disappointment because there's been so many disappointments in our life that we look back over. Things haven't turned out like we expected. Your kids haven't. Your grandkids have done things, bad choices, this and that. And you kind of go, oh, my goodness. When you start counting it up, it's terrible. 
And so, but it puts things in perspective when you think, when you have a heavenly mindset. Set your mind not on these, set your mind back up here. And it was the Apostle Paul who said, therefore, therefore is a very important word, and we'll get to that in a moment. He says, therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. There's a change that's going on inside my spirit, man, that's making me fit for heaven. It's making me fit to where I can live here in victory, even though there's disappointment all around me. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes. Again, your focus, your attention. Set your mind, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. The invisible kingdom of God. The invisible God who is here with us right now. We don't see him in the natural, but he is here. We know so. He promised. I don't have to have a feeling. I don't have to actually see anything. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's the omnipresent God. He is with us. So we have to focus on that. Now, the word therefore, it's interesting that he used that word therefore. What he was talking about in context of scripture was the therefore refers to wrongly being imprisoned. Paul was wrongly imprisoned many times. He was persecuted. He was beaten. He was left for dead. Five times he received 39 lashes, he said. Three times he was shipwrecked. One time he spent a whole night in the sea, probably floating on a piece of wood or something, out in the middle of the ocean, day and night, dangers from bandits, false believers, tired, and everything else. These are the troubles that he was talking about. I don't know about you, what little bit of persecution, if you would even call it persecution, doesn't even compare to what Paul had. I've never had, I've never lost any blood. No one's ever beat me up. No one's ever beaten me for witnessing to them. No one's ever even done physical harm to me. Not that I want that to happen, but I'm saying, I haven't experienced anything to the degree that Paul said, these things are momentary light afflictions. And we all have things where we say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God why. No, you won't. You get to heaven, you're going to be so overwhelmed with the glory of God, your question won't even come to your mind anymore. It won't. And even now, you know, when I get disappointed with things in my life, and I'm listening to the enemy more than I'm listening to God, I have to stop myself from going there. I have to say, no, no, that's enough. Because I'm, I'm, I'm that close to slipping into a depression. That close. At any moment, I could go there. I can't afford to allow myself my questions that I have because I don't understand God and why he would allow this or why he would... Let this happen. I can't allow those things to get in the way of my faith of trusting that God is always good. He's always faithful. He's always true. He only has my best interest in mind. He loves me with an unconditional love. He doesn't punish me. He punished Christ on the cross for me. I have to live in this place called faith that he gave me. Otherwise, I'm off on the deep end. In a moment. 
This, this, the shield of faith, part of the armor of God in Ephesians 6, you ought to read that, is the, the shield of faith. And I love that part probably more than any other place in the Bible of the, of the armor of God. It says, above all, take the shield of faith, which will quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. And if you understand this faith, this faith is what God has given you. When you got saved, God gave you his faith. He gave you faith to believe. It's his faith. It's not something you work up. It's not hype. It's his faith he gave you. And it's to be like a shield to you while you're walking here on the earth. And the enemy sends fiery darts, you know, disappointment, depression, despair, discouragement. Also fiery darts are you just sin and you're and you're your faith has to rise up. Your faith comes from hearing what God has said to you. What God has said to you, the rhema words, the personal words that God has given you, you, you have to raise those up, remind yourself of what God has said. And that faith, that shield of faith, quenches all those fiery darts. And on, on this side of your shield, you have all kinds of arrows, fiery darts. Discouragement, depression, all those things. But on the other side of the shield is you. And what you have on the other side of the shield is a thing called rest. It's on the opposite side. You, you, you stay in a place of rest even when you're being attacked, even when you're being persecuted. That's how the Apostle Paul made it through all those things without giving up, without caving into depression. That's how he made it through. He had that shield of faith up. So there's the fiery darts, but they don't get into my heart. They stay out there, and I'm on the other side of it, and I have rest, a rest that Jesus promised me to have while I'm here in this, in this earth. Filled with demons, filled with attacks. And rest is this byproduct of faith working. When my faith is working, I know it because I'm at rest. When my faith is working, even though I'm being persecuted, even though I'm being pounded over here with things, when my faith is working, I have a rest on the inside, a peace that passes. I don't understand. I'm just not disturbed by it. I don't react in the flesh like I do when I'm not operating in faith when my faith is working it's obvious to me and usually to those who know me that my faith is working and it's a shield you know jesus said come to me all you who are weary heavy laden you're burdened take my yoke that means let me get in here with you you and me together and walk through this i'm not going to take away the trouble we're going to walk through the trouble I'm going to be with you through this thing. And as we walk through it, you're going to take my yoke upon you and let me show you how to do this. Let me show you how to walk in victory. Let me show you how to walk in rest. Let me show you how to walk in faith and not fear. And learn me. Watch how I do this. Learn me. And you'll find rest unto your soul. In the Philippians 4, don't be anxious. Don't be fearful. Don't be worried about anything. Nothing. But instead, pray. Prayer is a weapon. It's the antidote to fear. Pray. Come talk to God. Unburden yourself. And petition me. Take my word, my promises. God, you said if I would pray that you would give me a peace that passes all. And you petition God. God, you, here's your word. And then with thanksgiving, that's the faith that's activated. It's, it's I'm believing God. 
And then cares, humble yourself before God. You're, you're fragile. Humble yourself. You can't do this thing called life without God. You can't fix your marriage. You can't fix your people. You can't, but God can. Humble yourself before Him. A person of prayer is a person of humility. A person who doesn't spend the time praying is not a person of humility. It's a person of pride. And you enter this place called rest. Cast your cares. Even though God knows everything, I still have to go tell him. It's not that he's forgotten. It's, it's, it's therapeutic for me. I just have to tell him. I'm burdened about this. I know you know, but I'm burdened about this. I don't know what to do about this. I know you know, but I don't know what to do about this. And I just unburden myself. Now, if you don't want to do that, you can go pay a counselor $150 an hour. But God says, just come to me. So when you enter rest, rest is really a weapon. This is the most intriguing subject I've ever in my life. I've been studying the subject of rest for about 10 years plus now. There's so much here. We could go off for another several hours and never scratch the surface. Rest is the position that God wants you to live in. And an acrostic for rest that the Lord gave me years ago was resisting everything Satan throws at you. He's throwing fiery darts. And when you are in rest, because you have up that shield of faith, you're in a place of security. You're in a place where you're the head, not the tail. You're, you're really in charge when you're at rest. The devil meant for you to be anxious. The devil meant for you to panic. And yet when you're in rest, it makes him very restless. Resisting the devil is, is, is not passive. Resisting the devil means I'm not reacting like I normally do in the flesh. Resisting the devil, I'm not reacting like I have. There's something has changed. Intentionally, I'm believing the word that God has given me. And I'm not reacting like I have. And that's how you know you're growing. You're making progress in the purposes of God. Part of the purposes of God is that you and I be a people of rest that are undisturbed, unshakable. We're panic-proof, man. We're just panic-proof. And even if you lose your peace for a moment, you get it back within 60 seconds. You're resetting your mind, recalibrating your mind. Quickly, i got to end this. Number four, setting your mind on heaven provides a proper view of possessions. Boy, how we need this. Our world is so materialistic. Materialistic, our world. And Christians have become materialistic. It's okay to have things. It's just not okay for things to have you. It's just important you understand the right perspective. You're a steward. Everything you have here, you're not going to take it to heaven with you. There's no U-Hauls going to heaven and all of that. That's true. You've got to remember, you've got to keep things in perspective. They're just things. It's just money. It's just stuff to use while you're here. Enjoy the blessing. Enjoy the good life. But realize it's just stuff. Don't let it become dominant in your life. The first message I ever preached in my life, I spent about 35 hours preparing a sermon. I was scared, and I 
I spent about 35 hours in study to preach about a, you know, 25-minute sermon. I got up and I preached this sermon that I spent 35 hours on in about 11 minutes. And I didn't have any idea what time it was, and I gave the invitation to everything, and I asked the pastor there afterwards, I said, I wanted some encouragement. I said, how did I do? He said, well, you did good. He said, you did good. He said, you could have gone a little longer, because, but, but the people were happy because they got out early, so it was great. <laughs> but I'll never forget, the, the first sermon I ever preached was about possessions. It was about Luke chapter 12, I think it is, about the rich farmer who got a bumper crop that year, and he says, oh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns, build bigger ones. I'm going to store up my riches and eat, drink, and be, mer- and be merry. And I, the message was, the points were basically this. Here's a man who forgot. He forgot about God. He forgot about time. He forgot about security is not in the abundance of things that you have. And Jesus called this man a fool. Setting your mind on earthly things and that this life is temporary and this is eternal, it it changes the way you manage your stuff. Paul told Timothy, who was a young pastor, Paul, the aged apostle, told young Timothy this. He said, now you speak to the rich, rich people in your congregation in Ephesus. It's probably huge, huge, probably the largest church in the world at that time. He said, you tell the rich people this, command those who are rich in this world, don't be arrogant, don't put their hope in wealth, but put their hope in God and be generous and willing to share. Tell Tell the rich people that. Who are the rich people? Well, in his time... The rich people in New Testament times were anyone who had one more, once, more than one set of clothes or more, than, more food than for one day. So I'm preaching to rich people. I drove by the other day on the highway, a place called Royal Highlands. I, rode, I drove by a road that said Monarch Road. I'm living among the wealthiest people in the world and I would say to you as well as myself we live in houses with air conditioning most of the world does not have we sleep on beds that most of the world does not have we have refrigerators and freezers loaded with food that most people in the world do not have we have multiple sets of clothing that most people in the world do not have what made you so special Command those who are rich in this world, don't become arrogant, but be willing to distribute, willing to use what God has entrusted you with as a good steward. And keep in mind, there's an eternity. Keep in mind, God's watching. Keep in mind, God's blessed you to be a blessing. And finally, number five, setting your mind on things above will help you focus on making spiritual progress. I'm so glad the house is full today and we're going to be more full with more people coming. I'm thankful you're a hungry people. You're, you're a rare church. I want you to know that. You're a rare people. People that come here and they minister, they often remark to me that the people here are hungry for the things of God. I said, that's true. I am so thrilled just to be a part of this, this group. People that want to grow. You're going to small groups right now. And in each of these small groups, it's a place to grow. 
grow in grace and grow in the knowledge of the Lord. Second Peter says this, but grow. Everybody say grow. 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 There's more to grow. You know, you're not at the end where you stop growing. You keep growing. Grow in the grace and the knowledge. The personal, experiential, encountering knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have encounters that you can talk about. Have experiences you can share about. Miracles, signs, and wonders happening in your life. To Him be the glory both now and forever. So we're, we're expected, as long as we're here, to grow. 365 days from today. Will you be able to look back at your growth chart spiritually and say, yeah, yeah, you grew a couple inches there. That's awesome. Or will you look back and be the same? I have to ask you a personal question. Only you can answer this question. Are you a growing Christian? Are you grow- Since you've been here, you should be growing. Because this, this church is filled with teachers. There's more teachers in this church than I've ever been a part of. Teachers. And when God gives teachers to the church, he gives people knowledge they did not have before. It's like every service, whether it be a Sunday or a Wednesday, you should get one piece of truth that you never had before. When you walk out, you should have that. There's something I heard today that I've never heard before. I got something today that I never received before. That's a sign that you're you're growing. You're growing. Or have you stagnated? It's possible. Even though you're in a good church and with good people, you can stagnate if you don't go back to those four disciplines that I talked about at the beginning, feeding on the word and time in prayer and fellowship with other Christians and sharing your faith. You've got to inflate those tires so you can make progress. There's a plan in place the, the clock is ticking. I don't know how much longer we're going to have here. I, I don't know, but, but I know we need to be on, on spot on with what God has for us to do. We don't have time to waste. We don't have time to do all the things we want to do, but we do have enough time to do the things that God wants us to do. I really like the last uh, few uh, Sundays of uh, doing invitation differently. I like uh, praying over a congregation, dismissing people, and people going out fellowshipping, and those who, who want uh, prayer to stay in their seat, and then intercessors go out. I just, I just love that, because I just believe there are divine appointments that are happening. For, for some reason, fear of man, a lot of people just will not come up front of a congregation. It takes a lot of courage to do that. It's not wrong, though. You know, like when Jesus said, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden. I expected that if I were sitting in the crowd listening to Jesus and he just preached that message, come unto me if you're weary, if you're heavy hearted, if you're burdened, come to me. I would hope I'd have enough courage before anybody got up that I would get up and I would start walking toward him. And then others would follow suit because they would, they would have the same impression. That's what he said. He said, come to him. I'm coming to you. And I think there's a place for that. And, and it's, it's not wrong to call people out of a 
congregation to make a bold stand for the Lord. You know, it's Jesus who said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father. So men is plural. There's more than one. So there's, there's a time to take a public stand. And one of the reasons that you want to do that, if you've never done that, is because it chases doubt away. And the enemy can't so easily talk you out of what you did. You know, you stood up in front of a congregation of 300 people and you, you said, I want to receive Jesus. Wow. I mean, God is so pleased. You, you give God something to work with when you give him your faith. See, faith is, is an action word. It's, it's I'm doing something. Come unto me. I get up and I come. That's an act of faith. God is so pleased with faith. He honors faith, whatever level you have. And, and so even when it's a call for, to receive the Lord in your life and drive away the doubt and so forth, uh, that's a bold thing to do. And it's a step of faith when you say, I'm going to come. I don't care what people think about me. I want this salvation. I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. And, and I like to always give a public invitation. It's not absolutely necessary, but I think it's important to take a public stand. And so without anybody standing up even right now, I just want you to sit down for a second. And if, you've, if, you're, you know, where, if you're in this place today and this has aroused your curiosity and you are living with an uncertainty about your soul's condition. And I mean, you you don't know whether or not you really are saved. You don't know whether you've really been forgiven. You don't know whether you've been born again. Jesus said you must be born again. He didn't say you must join the church. He didn't say you must be baptized, although you should be baptized. But he did say you must be. It's one of those things, there's no option. There must be a time in your life where you're born of the Spirit of God. It's a spiritual thing. God reveals to you that you're lost. God reveals to you that you need to be saved. And he'll touch you. He'll tug on your heart, touch on your emotions to try to urge you to step out in faith to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. There needs to be a time in your life when that, that issue is settled once and for all. I understand childhood salvation, and I believe children can be saved at an early age. I, there's no doubt about that whatsoever. But if you made a profession of faith when you were a child, but since then you've been living a carnal life and a worldly life, then you've really got to question the validity of that decision you made as a child. Maybe it'd be better to just reestablish this. Let me, let me make sure. And I'm speaking to somebody today who desperately needs that. God brought you here today to get this matter settled in your heart so you can start setting your mind on things above rather than just the Super Bowl and all that. So if you're here today, part of my job is to do the work of an evangelist. An evangelist makes you aware that you're lost. You have to be lost before you can be saved. Lost means there's no hope for you. Loss means that you are without God. It means you are without hope. It means that if you perish today, if you die today, your soul goes to hell. Because, not because you're just a bad person, because your sin payment was never taken care of. You never received the gift of salvation. So as as an evangelist, I'm telling you today, 
You need to receive, not just believe, but receive by faith the gift of salvation. It's a free gift. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. You receive it by faith. God said this way. He very clear, unmistakable. Even a little child can understand this. If you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that he's alive right now, and you confess with your mouth, this is your part, your mouth has to agree with God that Jesus is alive, and he is my only way of salvation. He is my Savior. He died on the cross to pay for my sin. That's the only way I'll ever be right with God. I receive him as my Lord, my Savior, right now. It's a gift. You either take God at his word or you say, I don't believe that. But that's the starting point. That's the birth. Now you've got to grow. You've got to spend time feeding on the word, time with God, talking, develop this relationship with God. You grow from there, but you have to have a birth. Alora Ray was born February 4th. By the way, of all the people in the family, I got it right. I picked the right date. Great job. This is someone's date. You can write down this day if you want to settle this issue finally. Sir, ma'am, I don't care what age you are. I don't care what you did when you were a child. I don't care if you were an altar boy. I don't care about any of that. I'm talking about today. If there's uncertainty in your heart, it means there's no faith. You need to settle this issue. It's a matter of life and death. And you get to choose. Now, I'm going to pray a prayer. If you'll pray that prayer out loud with your mouth in agreement with me to God and believe in your heart that Jesus is right here, God will save you. You probably won't see angels or hear bells, but it's taking God at his word. And I have done my job as an evangelist. So pray with me this, with your eyes wide open. Head up. God, I do believe in you. I don't understand you, but I do believe in you. And I want to be saved. And I want to be sure. And I want to be confident that I'm going to heaven when I die. So at this precise moment, I take you at your word and I ask you to come into my heart Be my Lord, my Savior, my God. Forgive me for all my sins. And in the best way that I know how, I open up to receive you right now. Come on in, Holy Spirit. Right now. Now, it's your moment. It's a scary moment. It's a moment of truth. It's a moment of faith. Those of you who just prayed that prayer and you know in your heart, this was it. I finally received. 
I just received a gift. I believe. I am saved. Thank you, God. I love you and I thank you. Those of you who just had that moment, just stand up right where you are. Just pop up. Just pop up. Pop up. That's right. Good. Stand right there. Good. Just pop up. Keep standing. Good. Keep standing. Good. Look at that. Awesome. Good. Praise God. Keep standing. Keep standing. Yo, keep standing. Just, just, just keep standing. Keep standing. Look at this. This is beautiful. You, you didn't get anybody here reject you. See, nobody in here is going to reject you. We applaud these things. And we've had that moment too. See, we've, we've had that moment you have had. Now you're part of our family. See, you're born of the Spirit of God. See, this is, this is vital. Now, keep standing for a moment and listen to me. I want to urge you. I want to charge you. If this is your church, this is where you come and feed regularly, great, great, great. Come join. That's great. But you ought to be baptized. Not right now. Don't worry. We're not going to pour water all over you. But you ought to be baptized. So I was baptized as a kid. No, you were dunked. Believer's baptism is once you believe, you get baptized. That's the identification moment. You ought to, you ought to do that. We're going to have baptism in a few weeks. Sign up on the list out there. I'll call you. We'll talk about it. Answer any questions. Go for it. But you ought, to, you ought to do that because that's the first thing that Jesus commands believers to do. So you ought to do it. Okay? No one's going to force you, but you ought to do that. This message was for you today. It had your name written all over it. We've been praying for you. It's beautiful. Now, the next thing you should do is that you should tell your family. Today, I settled an issue in my heart. I, got, I received the Lord, I know, today. I did it God's way. I, I am born again. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. You need to tell people that. The more you do that, the more it will strengthen you. Because the enemy, before you get to your car, is going to try to whisper you and say, you were a fool, you just embarrassed yourself, you, just, you know that's not true. And You're still going to have temptations. You've got the world, the flesh, and the devil that's always going to be around you. But get close into fellowship. You'll learn how to overcome these things. Yeah, you can be seated. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now everybody can stand together, and we're going to pray, and I'm going to ask intercessors and all of our altar workers just to come up here and be with me. We're going to pray and dismiss the congregation. If you're here and you need prayer for anything, you need healing in your body, this is a healing church. We've seen all kinds of miracles. You have trouble with your kids or trouble in your marriage or trouble anywhere. The Bible says, let them pray. Let us pray for you. Um, You're being oppressed, tormented by the devil. You can't sleep at night. That could be an attack of the enemy. Let us help you with that. We'll be glad to do that. One of the signs of believers is that we cast out devils. We do. Cast out demons are real. And you could be tormented. 
and you need to be free, and we can help you with that. But then you've got to learn to walk that out. It's dangerous to get deliverance if you're not going to walk it out. You've got to be willing to discipline your life so that you don't open those doors. You get demons cast out, and then you don't close those doors. Seven more come in more deadly. It's worse than before. So it's not a show. It's not a circus. It's not a power display. But help is available. So just lift your hands to God and just thank him for hearing something today that's going to make you better. It's going to cause you to grow. Thank you. Just begin to thank him out loud. Go ahead. Your own thank, your own voice. You've heard me talk enough. Just, your own, just begin to thank God for something you got today. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Now may the Lord bless you. And may the Lord himself keep you. And be gracious to you. Make his face shine on you and through you. And give you his peace. So that you never panic. But you live in the peace that passes all understanding. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Be blessed. Come back Wednesday night as we deal with the subject of God's math. You're dismissed. The congregation, if you need prayer, stay in your seat, and our intercessors will come to you as soon as this building gets vacated. Okay? If you're sitting down, then that's a sign for us to come and pray for you.